0: Thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they've created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 Groups. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle, from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphaned teams and collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to help keep your teams tidy and secure. That's why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft cloud show. Oh my god, what am I doing? Have you done this before? It's the first time. Are we supposed to be recording? Not often. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, here we go. <coughs> this is the Microsoft Cloud Show episode 417. Today, AC and I are going to ponder, did Darth just win? Recorded live July the 8th, 2021. Good morning. How's it going, my man? <laughs> Apart from being a little slow this morning, not too bad. We've done not this a couple bad. times.
1: We've had intros that we've kind of flubbed a couple times in the last few weeks. It's a uh, are we in a are we in the was it mid podcast crisis? <laughs> I think it's old
0: age, man. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just forgot what you just said. <laughs> I think it's I think it's old age, man. I think it's old age, man. Am <laughs> I telling the same story twice, three times? <laughs> How's things? Rocking along? Yeah,
1: man, they're good. We uh, just had our. First tropical storm of the season, barrel through. Got my first ever tornado experience. Yesterday, we had a twister touchdown about five minutes from our house, five, ten minutes from our house. Wow. And um, they said, I didn't know there were th- good things as called good tornadoes. This was not a, quote, bad tornado. Because it said it wouldn't flatten houses. It would just
0: cause some damage. I'm like, okay. Mm, How's that a good tornado? I don't know. I guess it's not a, there should only be like bad tornadoes, terrible tornadoes ludicrously terrible tornadoes
1: maybe just tornadoes Something like that right? just like yeah. <laughs> just like general but yeah we yeah yesterday afternoon the phones all of our the emergency broadcast systems started blaring on our phones and take shelter now and it's like okay i get those when there's a hurricane around but you're looking outside like i don't you know it's i don't know i mean i get i'm not in kansas and texas i mean I'm, are we okay and then so yeah. i turn on the local news and they're like look you know rotation spotted here and I'm like, hey, look, whoa, that's right next to where my mother-in-law lives. <laughs> so it's kind of weird just watching the, set, watching the watching the radar of it and just go right through the city and I uh, woke up this morning and there's a couple of videos from people who caught it on on uh, camera, but it did some damage, but nothing like, it's not like, yeah. I noticed some yeah. people it's epic, but it's not like the stuff you would see on the national news and stuff, trees
0: down, stuff hit a house. But, I yeah. saw a video recently of a tornado passing over a ship like quite a large tornado too. Mm. And it didn't suck the ship up out of the water or anything like that. <sighs> but it must have been a hell of an experience. Oh, I would expect so. Yeah. Yeah. No, bit just windy. Been,
1: yeah, it was windy. Windy, rainy, sun's out, breezy now. So it's all past this. But yeah, I've been past week, spent some time been upgrading some, updating some old pet projects, small community projects I had done, taking the time, realizing that I have not updated them because I've been dreading. Rolling the updates out, and so I took the time mm. to set up the GitHub workflows to do the automated deployments of like npm packages and etc. So it's been um, it's been a fun geek week, I guess. Right,
0: nice. How about you? I roasted a spit roasted a lamb on the weekend for the Fourth of July at a friend's place. Actually, uh, you know the friend, but Brennan Ford and I has been a friend of mine for years. We well he. And our friend Dave got a entire New Zealand lamb from the motherland and spit roasted it on the weekend. And it it took a long time. <laughs> like, wow! You know, it's a whole day process, right? We we rocked up at nine o'clock, got the fire going, got the spit built, prepared the, the lamb, all of that, and uh, and spit roasted the whole thing for 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 the fourth. It was fun. It was oh good my goodness! Drinking out, drink bit of drinking out in the sun, all of that sort of stuff, you know doing it properly it
1: <laughs> that's fun. a hell of a process man it's a lot of work
0: yeah but it, it's uh it was worth it it was really good really good did the good, lamb have to go times. through quarantine I don't know no not coming this way <laughs> 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 it's like <laughs> you've got all the bad shit at this end. Let <laughs> anybody in. <laughs> this is true. This is true. No two oh, week quarantine that's, coming this way. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, it was a good time. So now it was. Other than that, yeah, rocking along, enjoying a bit of summer and uh, getting quite a bit of work done at the same time. Doing some contract work. So yeah, cracking out some code too. It's all happening. Oh, wow,
1: danger! We got to stay away from here. What are you coding? Well, you you share with the golf simulator stuff?
0: Yeah, for the business for about golf, which is the the, yeah. the company that I'm doing this contract work for for uh, that build sort of high end indoor golf simulators. Yeah, we've got well, we've got a bunch of different projects on the go at the moment, but um, yeah, I'm cracking out a bit of code and, and uh, trying to keep my hand in it. So it's it's been fun. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. Hey, so this week we've got a couple of things. We want to have a quick chat about a GitHub product in a second here, but we're also going to cover what's new in Microsoft 365 this week we've got a couple of message center updates for people and then we've got some news we're going to go through but you and I have had a bit of a chat recently about the podcast and how we're going to mix up our content each week and things we're going to do we're going to try and do a better job of balancing our news shows with our interview shows with our deep dive topics or mm-hmm. topic based type shows not necessarily deep dive like the last one on IOT hub right More Mm -hmm. of a basic overview than a serious deep dive. But we're gonna try and do a better better job of balancing that. So yeah, so with that in mind, last week was topic. This week we're gonna cover some news. Sounds good. We've got interviews coming up. We'll do a better mix of all going forward. So hopefully people will find that Bit different each week and a bit, a uh, bit more engaging.
1: Absolutely. And if you're listening to the show and you've got some ideas or you've got some stuff that what do you like, what you don't like? I mean, let us know. Give us some feedback. Yeah. Send us yeah. a message and you know Twitter, Facebook, Messenger, info at microsoftcloudshow.com. Just reach out to us and let us know because I mean it's a you know CJ and I've got ideas frequently they're not good and so it's always good <laughs> it's always good to see or at least they're good in our head and then everybody's like that's dumb yeah. why are you doing that so I mean let us know what you think I mean it's a we. Enjoy doing the show, but we want to make sure that also you're getting the value out of it that that you're enjoying out of it. So
0: let exactly. us know what you think. Hey, so before we move on to the main part of the show, I want to have a quick chat about a bit of banter, really about mm. GitHub Copilot. Mm. So you've had a bit of a look at this, from what I understand. Yeah, play with it
1: a little bit. So the the concept here it's a it's something that go that go that GitHub released and preview in the last, I guess, like two weeks or so. And the idea is it's supposed to be like an AI assistant in coding. And so what you do is you install something into VS Code. There'll be other, probably other options down the road. And as you're typing stuff, it will give you like a suggestion for what you're looking for. So like if you wrote a function that is Mm. uh, add, the name of the function is add, and it's got two inputs into it that are numbers then it, knows it can write the rest of the code of the function to add two numbers together. Now, I know that's a very trivial example, but there are other things that it, it will go through and it'll do. The thing that's interesting about this is that they're using the existing code in GitHub to train GitHub Copilot. And the right. thing that I've seen the most, that's been some of the demos that they've shown on their site are interesting. I haven't used it yet because cuz there's just something a little weird about you know writing for me or like you're either writing code for me or writing like writing an article for me. I'm not really comfortable with that yet. But I've been watching what other people are saying and some people are raising some interesting issues, including one that just got highlighted today or one confirmed, one got confirmed today that you and I wanted we were just kind of riffing about before the show and that's the code that they're using to train Copilot is publicly available code, not private code in GitHub, but code that is in public repos. And people have been asking questions about, is that ethical? Is it legal? Because they're seeing things where sometimes like a a key or a certificate is being added into the code that it suggests. And GitHub's defense and everybody else that's defending them is like, so what? If you put it in a public repo and you put the password in there, first of all, stupid move on your part. Second of all, I mean, what's the problem? You're you're dealing with a symptom instead of actually dealing with the actual issue. Yeah. But the one that's a little more, that you and I were talking about, that we were kind of like, we both were like, what do you think about this? And we're kind of looking at you like, I don't know, is that okay? And that's mm. the code that they're using from public repos. It doesn't matter what license the person has picked for their repo. They're just reading it anyway. So we were asking like, well, that's pretty dodgy, yeah yeah, is it legal? Is it copyright legal because aren't there some licenses that say you can't do derivative works without
0: giving credit? Yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, you can't just copy code mm. and stick it in your own code without if it's licensed under certain things that say you've got to give them you've got to give them credit or you even have to contribute any code changes back to that mm-hmm. repository. So surely if copilot's putting code in, you're not aware of what, the license says Mm -hmm. of the repo that it came from. And therefore, you're not aware of what you're signing yourself up for, Mm -hmm. right? So here's here's an interesting proposition. I've been involved in a few of these, and I'm going through one at the moment. So when a company gets bought, if you've made a software product, then often the buying company will do technical due diligence on your product. And they'll usually bring in a third-party consulting firm or something like that that specializes in due diligence. And often they run tools that analyzes your code. And they analyze it for things like use of libraries with certain license types and things like that. Right. So mm-hmm. if you're using a library, you know, from an open source library, for example, or whatnot, then they've got these tools that will spit out reports to say, here are all of the, here are all of the licenses that you're subject to, whether you, whether you realize it or not, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll also do stuff like you know, security, bunch of security checks and static code analysis and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what if your co-pilot written code in your product now, and it's kind of critical to the function of it, and you go sell your, go to go sell your product or some technical due diligence happens, and they're like, actually, this code is not yours. Mm. Part of this code is somebody else's that was written, not by you. You don't own the IP to it, and, uh, you don't have the rights to it. And you, you know, so therefore, uh, we either got to rewrite it, I suppose, or um, or something else. But it's, you know, so there's all those sorts of issues that are going to pop up from this, I suspect.
1: That's the thing that's a little, that's, that's concerning to me, that like just raises, it caused me to raise an eyebrow. And I'm not, I don't know if this is, I haven't made the conclusion, I haven't come to the conclusion that this is a bad thing, this is yeah. a thing, or this is, you know, a really bad thing or whatever. Because, I mean, if I go somewhere and I see, if I see code or even just text, like somebody gave a speech, and I copy that paragraph of what they said in their speech. And I put it in like in a blog post and down that we've seen this happen in the news. We're down the road. Somebody's like, Oh, that's plagiarism. You took their content. And I'm like, I had no idea where I got it from. I got it from somewhere and I just put it in. So you can do the exact same thing with code now, except that the only difference is, is there's a tool that's recommending that you use this code in the videos that we've seen that I've seen from code pilot There's nothing that says, not just what you said, which is, here are the licenses that are applied to this code or that apply to this code that we got, but there's nothing that actually tracks it back and says, where did you get this from? How did you come up with this? So you lose track of that. Yeah. Yeah. And so you could use Copilot and have no idea that your stuff was being pulled from somebody else's repo that has Hmm. a license that is not permissible or... You know, then let's get into the more like complicated ones where, okay, I use Copilot. It pulled this code from this other repo and put it into my repo. But after I did that, they added yet an, a, a more stringent license yeah. to their repo. And how can I prove when yeah. did I use it? When I, There's all these like right. questions right. that come out of this, like going, wow, this I haven't seen so much about Copilot that's like, this is awesome. More people are looking at it going, What's the, what are you guys doing? Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. It's Don't curious. get me wrong, though. It does pique my interest because... You know, the number of times I've gone to write a piece of code to do with, I don't know, pulling data off sockets, for example, Mm -hmm. right? This is an example I used, and have wondered every time, oh, yeah, what if like all the data doesn't arrive at the same time and you've got to buffer stuff and wait for your full message to arrive? It's not as simple as just reading once. And like, I almost have to reinvent the way I read data off sockets every time. This is just one example, there's lots Mm -hmm. of examples. And so, but wouldn't it be mm-hmm. cool if it, if you wrote a function and it's like received, you know, receive message or something and you give it the socket and it goes in, and it stamps out secure, well written, testable code. Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty nice. Oh heck yeah. So yeah, I can definitely see some of the benefits for sure. Maybe I don't know, maybe they've just got some they've got some um, I don't know, things to work out long term like this legality stuff
1: yeah and that's kind of where i am on it where i just i want to like take a step back and just be like all right so what are you guys doing let's see Let's show me explain to me exactly what you're doing how is this what's special about this that's the part that i'm curious to see a little bit more about is it definitely. just seem there's some things there that are just a little odd that i'd like to learn more
0: about but yeah know. yeah definitely want to keep an eye on i'd love to try it out you're part of the Pilot, or you got into the beta or something?
1: Yeah, uh, there's a way that you can request to be part of the private preview, and it doesn't look like the bar is very high um, because they let me in pretty quick. So <laughs> I got in and I've yet to use it. I was like, oh, I'll check this out. I mean, they're, what they're, languages they're, does it cover right now? Obviously, like TypeScript and stuff. I don't know. Python. I think I'm ever seeing a demo for Python, JavaScript. Python and JavaScript were the two ones I remember off the top of my head. Cool. But yeah, just, I just I thought that we wanted to mention this in the show because I'm seeing more discussion about it. I just actually saw one right before we started the show where GitHub did confirm that they are using public code, but they're not looking at the license when they of the re- repo when they use that as a source to train to train their engine. So Yeah, I'm conflicted about that. I think they're probably gonna to have to revise that. We'll I see. would I'd expect so. Yeah. We'll see. Fair enough.
0: All right, let's uh, go talk about what's new in Microsoft 365. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only does it tell you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every single day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy and more for even greater visibility. Visit Raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences for your users. That's Raygun.com to get started on your free 14-day trial with plans starting from as little as four dollars a month. Back to the show.
1: Okay, my friend, I have a rapid fire. We're going to uh, go through here. I got a handful of these. We don't. I don't have many from the Azure space. We'll come back and do that in a in future soon episode. Whenever that would be. First one I have here is around Microsoft Teams for Education. This is Message Center 2570, sorry, let me say that again, 267588, Simplified Class Team Navigation. With this update, Assignments, Grades, Class Notebooks, and Insights, which is coming soon, are going to move to the main Class Team Navigation menu that can be easily accessed uh, no matter what channel or tab you might have focused within the Class Team at that time. Supposed to be able to save the educator and student time, and makes the Class Teams easier to use. The next one is, I didn't even know what this thing was called this uh, until I saw this update. This is Message Center 266484, the retirement of a Discover slab from old Outlook iOS versions. So the recommended slab is going to be retired from old versions of Outlook iOS. It's just going to silently disappear when you install a new version of Outlook, there's nothing you have to do to get ready for it, but they're just going to get rid of the Discover slab or the recommended slab. Hmm. I've never heard of this thing called a. I've never heard of the slab inside of Outlook, so I'm not exactly sure what they're talking about. If it's a like a blade or like a something that pulls in, but I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. The next one I have is around Exchange. Uh, I think I have one or two around Exchange, if I'm not mistaken. One, two, yeah, I have, I have one, just one. This one is a new relay uh, pool, uh, new outbound relay pool. So. They're doing some stuff to harden the configuration in Exchange Online for people who use Exchange for relaying or forwarding email through 365. I do this with my business, and I also do it with some personal stuff as well to where I'm using my mailbox as a relay to go through Office 365. There's some things you have to do to set it up, but what they've done to harden their service a little bit more is they are making it to where every new every name in the server is being used. It's all they're all gonna have a very specific set of IPs that are being used by the relay pool. And they're also all the servers are also gonna have the text RLY in the name. Once they implement this change, they're gonna have to have, you're gonna have to meet specific criteria in order to route uh, mail through the relay pool. You have to have an outbound sender domain that's an accepted domain on the internet. <laughs> that's good. SPF passes when the message comes from M365 and DKIM. SPF and DKIM are two things for like secure mail. That's allowing mm-hmm. it allows a server to do an automated lookup back mm-hmm. to the server that sent it to say, are you legit or are you like a spammer that's hopping IPs and hopping yeah. servers? So that's to ensure those things. And you get a, you you have a better chance of your mail not being flagged as spam if you if you implement SPF and DKIM. Yeah, it's not hard to do. The, i got, uh see, two more. Skype for Business is going to retire on July 31st, 2021. This is just a big reminder that Skype
0: for Business, it goes bye-bye at the end of the month. Yeah, that's coming up soon. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time the show comes out, yeah, two weeks. Two-ish weeks, one yeah. week, One week. Close. One week from the time the show comes out, yeah. The last
1: one I have is an update for Microsoft Defender for 365. Microsoft believes it's critical to keep customers secure by default. So they've determined that legacy overrides tend to be too broad and cause more harm than good. So as a security service, they believe it's imperative that they act on our behalf to prevent our users from being compromised. So they are now at the point with their secure by default journey where the following overrides are not honored for malicious emails, allowed safe sender lists or allowed domain lists, Outlook safe senders and IP allow lists. So they're now extending the secure by default to cover high-confidence phishing messages for the remaining legacy types, override types, so exchange mail, follow rules, etc. So how is this going to impact you? What's, what's the brass tax for this? So Microsoft is starting in August of 2021. Defender is going to have the following characteristics. Microsoft is no longer going to deliver messages with a high-confidence phish verdict, regardless of any explicit overrides that you've set up. And they're no longer gonna recommend using ETRs. These ETRs are the exchange mail follow rules or transport rules to configure third-party phishing simulations or security operation mailbox message delivery. This is message center 265759. So if you've got stuff set up with for doing exchange transport rules, ETRs to bypass things or to configure how like phishing emails are detected or spam. You might want to take a look at this message center thing to see if this is going to impact you, if there's things you got to do to get ready. Interesting. The last one I got, this is an honorable mention for Azure since we haven't done an Azure update <laughs> recently. Is uh, And this one I haven't even actually seen in the Azure updates. I only got this because I'm actually, I use this resource. And so I thought I would I would mention this. There is a resource, uh, it might be familiar, called uh, SendGrid. It's an uh, email mailing service that a lot of companies use for business reasons. Like this is one that I use on Azure for our business. Twilio purchased SendGrid and you've in the past have been able to get SendGrid as a resource in Azure to provision it and to have it be in the Azure marketplace. So SendGrid has to do some changes, some migrations. They're going to switch from what they have is what's currently called SendGrid. They're going to switch it to a new offering called Twilio SendGrid, and that's going to allow them to take advantage of some more modern uh, marketplace features to provide to their customers. Now they're going to do this migration starting on August the 1st of this year and going all the way through September of this year. So about two months is when this is going to be going on. Mm -hmm. When this is going on, you're not going to be able to make any changes to your subscription plan in the Azure marketplace if you're using SendGrid after July the 16th, Ooh. until the migration is complete. So you're effectively going to be frozen out of your SendGrid configuration for a little while. So you just need to pay attention to this. If you want to learn more about this, you need to just go go look at your SendGrid resource inside of Azure. There's a little notice that I, I saw in mine that was warning me of this. So it's something you definitely want to take a look at. It kind of caught me by surprise because I also saw where I use it to relay mail with my email provider that I use for our business, and I yeah. noticed that they had said that they were they they noticed a port was open, and while they don't think anything was compromised, they're automatically going to rotate the keys that people have set up for their DKIM uh, records for their email. Hmm. Well, if you automatic if you have your DKIM set up to automatically rotate or let the service rotate it, then you're fine. But if you set it to manually do it. When they rotate the keys, you're going to need to make an update to do that. And Mm. so I need to make sure, okay, number one, let's make sure that I'm either set to automatically do it or I rotate my key before this just July 16 lockout happens. Because if it rotates after July 16th, I may be blocked from sending email for about two months.
0: Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. That sounds brutal. I bet there's a ton of people don't know about that.
1: Yeah. So that's why I wanted to highlight that. That's a big one.
0: Nice. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be back for some news. This episode is sponsored by Geomont. Have you thought about adding Contact Center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomont, and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomont is a Microsoft Gold Partner, part of the technology adoption program and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around a special offer. And now, back to the show. All right, we've got a... Quite a variety of news this week. Actually, we've got a bunch of Microsoft goodies. We've got some browser war stuff, and we've got some security bits and pieces. So, would you like to lead us off with something? Absolutely. I will
1: tackle. Let's see which one do I want to do here. I'm going to take the this uh, first one here that I found. Microsoft had they had shared. I can't remember when they shared this, but they talked about this a little while ago that they were going to deliver SQL Server as a on a in a Windows container. This is something they were going to provide people as part of a, it's going to be like as a, if you want to be able to use SQL Server inside of a container, they were going to provide it as a Windows container, which you could then use in your containerized implementation of your project. Well, they've suspended the project. As of July the 5th, they decided we're not going to do it. We've suspended the beta program as they say, for the foreseeable future, which basically means this guy's dead. And they're saying the reason why they're doing it is in response to existing ecosystem challenges and patterns. In other words, people weren't using it, even in a test and development (laughs) environment. So that's the only way it's really been supported. So what they are doing instead is they're kind of transitioning to say, you know what? we're only going to do this in a Linux container. So they're going to be delivering SQL Server in a Linux container, not in a Windows container. I found that to be kind of
0: interesting. Yeah, gotcha. I guess that's a good thing. They're watching usage and going, it's not worth the effort that we go to do this because nobody finds it interesting. Agree. The scenario scenario, that interesting. Yeah, cool. What's you got Um, for us? So this week has been more carnage on security for Windows. There's a new exploit dubbed Print Nightmare. You heard about this one? I have. Yeah, it's been a CVE issued for it. Essentially, what's happening here is that if a user is in a particular security group called what is it called? They're like print administrators or something like that. Mm. Printer operator. There's a security group. They can install not only signed drivers, printer drivers, on a print server, but unsigned printed drivers on a print server. Mm-hmm. And so what this is allowing hackers to do is, you know, essentially leverage somebody with or an account with this privilege to run any code they want with system level privileges on the machine. And you know, you could argue that this is a bug, but this is kind of a I think this is this, you know, I don't know if I call this a bug. Like it's by design. They built the feature to be able to do this. I guess it's a bug if they didn't mean that unsigned drivers should be able to be installed, perhaps. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we saw, I think last week, we talked about, or the week before, we talked about Microsoft signing some drivers inadvertently mm-hmm. and the carnage that that can reap if that code is, you know, contains malicious code. Yeah. Anyway, so the, the long and the short of it is getting code into the kernel and running at system level is bad. And this was an attack vector for it. So Microsoft has already released a patch for it. It's gone out for Windows Server 2016, Windows 10 version 16.07, and Windows Server 2012. So um I just checked my Windows install, and sure enough, the patch is waiting to be installed. So I will go and do that. And it is... um it was so serious, they did it out of band with Patch Tuesday. So, yeah, kind of a biggie.
1: That was the interesting part about this one for me is that I didn't realize that it was. I read about it and I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely a bad one. But it didn't strike me as one that's like, oh my God, this is bad. I guess it's being used in the wild. Well, that's, and so that's the yeah. interesting part too, because the company that found it, they published, they were going to show at a, at a, I think the way I understood it was they were going to show it in an upcoming conference, they were going to show what they had found. And how you could use it as an attack vector. and they had it all written up and everything. And they accidentally published the blog post that showed you how to do it. And then they really quickly came back when they realized that they unpublished it. So I think I wonder if that had any in, had in, any reason why Microsoft said, okay, now that the cat's out of the bag we recommend everybody install this right away. They did it not only out of band, but it's showing up on like the front page of cnn.com of people saying Microsoft recommends everybody update Windows right now. And it's like, holy crap. That's you wow. don't rarely you rarely see those. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sitting here with three Windows machines on my desk for different reasons and I'm like, I wonder if
0: it's installed on any of those guys yet. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't I mean, it's it's downloaded it and got it ready to install, but it requires a reboot. And mm. afterwards. So I don't think they force it down your throat until regular sort of restart is required. I'll take a look at that right now just to see why we're doing it yeah. while we're doing some more news. Uh, yeah. What's next? I
1: got one here from the Microsoft Teams team. Did you know that Microsoft Teams 2.0 is going to use half the memory? Yes. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, so <laughs> for those Weirdly- of you who <laughs> Weirdly I do. Yeah, they're so, getting off Chromium.
1: Yes, they're moving off Chromium and they're switching over to Edge and they
0: are also getting rid of Angular and going to be 100% React. Here's the bit I don't get because Edge is also Chromium based. Right. So sorry. So when I say getting off Chromium what I should really have been saying is they're getting off Electron.
1: Right. Right, right? they're Which getting off
0: uses Chromium.
1: Right. They're getting off Electron. They're going they're using they're moving off Electron. They're switching to Edge they're using the edge webview 2 teams yep. so is going to continue to remain a hybrid app but it's going to be powered by edge they got rid of angular it's now 100% on react and they're also using graph or apollo uh, graphql and they're going to contribute back to the apollo graphql chromium and react
0: js projects nice so They're not off Chromium, right? Because Edge also uses Chromium. Right. So I wonder, but that is the rendering engine part and all of that stuff, right? I think Microsoft have an alternative JavaScript engine that they might be using, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so maybe that's where they get a lot of the memory management benefits from. I'm not sure. But anyway, great. I'm all for apps using less memory on your machine. And, you know, Electron apps are notorious memory hogs. So. Mm. Which, because they're Chromium, right? That's the that's the whole... That's the thing, yeah. Okay, moving right along. Based on the title of the show, Did Darth Win? Big news this week. The Pentagon has cancelled the $10 billion Jedi contract after being challenged by Amazon and the long, long-standing litigation that's gone on around the Jedi contract. So the Pentagon have given up on it. And instead, they're going to... I think break it up into a bunch of different contracts and then rebid for those individually, which is, you know, I saw this news and I went immediately to go look at the Microsoft stock price and it has done nothing except go up, which was very. <laughs> so obviously not that consequential to Microsoft's bottom line, weirdly enough. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of money. So. It's a big deal for Microsoft, and I'm sure there are, well, we know a couple of them that have been involved in this over the years and have put in a lot of work to win this contract, uh, only to have it ripped out from underneath them, who will be pretty disappointed. But the pragmatist says Microsoft is still going to get a huge chunk of this, this money regardless, so... Uh, all is not lost.
1: Yeah, this is like the, this is like watching a tennis match. It feels like it's just, I mean, it's the a time very of Wimbledon slow right? so tennis match.
0: Like, Doom <laughs> like doom, a back. tennis match at quarter speed. Yeah, back to Atari <laughs> Pong. How's that? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's better. Yeah, this just keeps
1: dragging out, and it's kind of like I, I feel bad for the people who are involved in this project because it's now they're going to be able to put on their resume, just like worked on trying to land and close and implement the DOD Jedi project for 10 years of my career. It's like, did you do any work on it? I'm like, no, not really. I just tried to actually make it happen. Like, oh my God, I feel so bad for you. This is just taking, this is just dragging out so long. But these monolithic jobs, man, they just don't make, you almost want to just say we're going to make like a, a strategic partnership with them instead of, and here are the requirements. It's... I know it's I get it's government. I get you got to plan ahead and everything, but it's really hard to, this is hard. It's
0: hard to watch. It's fascinating. I mean, I don't want to get into politics on this, but it is sort of, a lot of these things are always sort of politically motivated at some point, right? Like there's always some sort of politics behind them. Sure. And this really all started between what's perceived as a spat between Trump and Bezos, right? And Bezos being the owner of Washington Post and Trump not being happy about it and whether that's true or not, mm-hmm. whether that was, whether any of that influenced the decision, we really don't know. But the fact that Amazon are leveraging the possibility of that being a thing to, to say that it was, it, you know, it, it was it detrimentally affected them has caused all of this. And, you know, it's been, it's been quite a, like mm-hmm. it was a 2019 contract that was awarded. So it's been a little while and it's, you know, been going on for a while and i think the pentagon was just like cool well okay we're just going to pull the contract we're going to start again because we're going to be stuck in litigation forever if we don't and we're not going to be able to make mm-hmm. any forward progress which also sucks so i can see it from their point of view
1: too i'd love to know how many times we've mentioned the term jedi outside of a star wars context on this show it's since
0: 2017 yeah yeah
1: Probably quite a few. Yeah, just a few times.
0: Yes. So uh, so that looks to be done and dusted, I guess. It'll all get broken up into different pieces. Amazon will win some. Microsoft will win some. And they'll share the $10 billion as opposed to Microsoft getting it all. And Oracle will complain. <laughs> like normal. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've got a little
1: bit of news here that's considered to be good news for Microsoft Edge. But it actually kind of it surprised me because I didn't realize what the numbers really were. So... Edge just re- uh, passed a milestone in the past couple of days that Microsoft has reached a, mi- well, here, the title or the the byline of this article is <laughs> yeah. Microsoft has reached a major milestone in its request to regain a foothold in the web browser market. Okay, so everyone just- It's hold- very clickbaity. Yeah, so just bear with me on here and let's just make sure we'll put some things in context in a second here. So first of all, here's the clickbait part. New data from StatCounter shows that Edge has now overtaken the established rival Firefox in all the rankings. In the recent months, the pair have been neck and neck, but Microsoft's browser now has put daylight between itself and Firefox. How much? If that's much...
0: all you heard, if that's all you heard, you'd be like, wow. Edge is really doing well. That's impressive, right? It's above Firefox. That's incredible.
1: Okay, now let but. me just throw some water on your parade here. <laughs> Edge now holds a 3.4% browser market above Firefox, which is only at 3.29%. But they're both way behind Safari, which has an 18% market share, and
0: Chrome, which is a 65% market share. So it's like, hey, that's wait, great. Wait, wait, a second. 3.4% versus three 29 nine percent
1: it's a 0.11 percent lead over its quote major rival Edge, you're really crushing it. <laughs> I mean Edge moved from four to three but they've got like they have to what is that is that a five that's a 600 percent increase
0: to make it to second place But remember, I.E was in this position in fact, i.E was at like 95 percent market share. Once upon a time. So, not all, you know, the game's not over. Not all is lost. Yeah. I also I... had it reminded to me on a Facebook group that I'm a part of that once upon a time, word held less than 5% market share in the word processing space. Yeah. And so you got to come from somewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, okay. So it'll change like in my, in our kids' lifetime.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. 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 Yeah. I guess that's, you know, it's obviously getting a bit of adoption though. I, I'm just surprised. It's, surprised, you know, out of this, the thing I'm really surprised about is how little Firefox usage there is. Yeah. I mean, I've, I know that not that many people use it, but like I thought it was more than 3.3%. I did too. I did too. You find those diehard Firefox fans that it just will not let go of it. You know, it's pretty, pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. When they share your screen with you. You can be like, oh, I found-.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, huh? Edge and uh, Firefox. It, well, it's like Formula One point five, right? It's like the third place in wars that are going on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just for- Formula One, which is like you know
1: the teams in the top one through six, the three teams, and then it's well, who else wants a few points? Yeah,
0: exactly. Kind of a thing. Hey, I've got a quick one. Microsoft Graph update: Manage frontline workers in Microsoft Teams with tags and time clock APIs. So if you're trying to do more with um, you know, managing frontline workers and building apps that that work with teams to do that, then there are new tag APIs to help workers uh, you know, being able to, you know, essentially, I think it allows you to like tag people with particular tags, some things like that. And also time clock APIs, obviously for managing, you know, when you are at work and not and all that sort of stuff. So, using the new APIs you can delete tags, update tags, get a list of tags in a team, create tags in a team and assign users to those tags and then the time clock APIs are things like clocking in, clocking out, starting, and stopping a break, all of that sort of stuff like you'd expect you know punch card type stuff so yeah, that's now available. You can go check it out in Graph Explorer, and they've got uh the post that we link to gives examples of the payloads and things like that. Hmm. Poorly cool. formatted payloads, by the way, in my blog post. <laughs> Microsoft, terrible. Cool.
1: I have a graph update for you as well. Microsoft is doing some. Microsoft Graph is doing some updates to their change notification APIs to help you automate a bunch of different, a bunch of additional scenarios. Just as a quick reminder, the change notification APIs. This is effectively a way for you to subscribe to different things or, or collections in Microsoft Teams. Or sorry, in Microsoft Graph. And Microsoft Graph will then send you an HTTP post when a change happens or, or whatever mm. event you've requested. It will send you a notification saying, hey, something changed here. And then you can use that to, to update your system or to go and do any kind of actions. It's a classic way to reduce your chance of being throttled or to eliminate polling from your system, polling uh, Microsoft Graph. Yeah. The big ones that they've added here, the additional features, is that you can now check for changes uh, or be notified of changes in any team at the tenant level, changes in a particular team in any channel at at the tenant level, and also changes to membership of a particular team. So all of this stuff is all related to Microsoft
0: Teams-based stuff. Change notifications, a.k.a. Webhooks. Webhooks. That they refuse to... Well, never mind. Love you, Jeremy. Web hooks. <laughs> call it yeah that everybody else in the world calls webhooks yes that's
1: that's always how I explain like webhooks or as the graph team calls them change notifications by the rest of the world calls them webhooks no but ours are different no they're not no they're not
0: (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah so finishing up before we move on I've got a post or a link to a post that is in the show notes which is just, I thought, I'm not going to talk in depth about it, but it's just a good summary post. It came out on May 25th called Build the Next Generation of Collaborative Apps for Hybrid Work. It's just a good summary of a bunch of the integration options you have for thing with Teams, for example. Mm. So it's quite long, but it's a good summary post of a bunch of different extensibility points in Teams, which I thought was quite useful. If you're looking to get into Teams, this would be a good post getting into Teams development, I should say. Be a good post just to go and see, you know, the areas that you can go and extend it, what your options are, and it also gets into stuff like Outlook and a little bit of Windows too. Yeah, what's this the good summary? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Very cool. How about we wrap up the news and go talk about some picks?
1: AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show.
0: Okay, AC, what do you got for us this week? You ever had to debug something? (laughs) Never. My code is perfect. (laughs) Right. <laughs> okay. somebody, else has had, somebody else has had to debug it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to name somebody that you've worked with, and I'm like, going, yeah, but okay, when he wrote code, have you ever had to debug something? <laughs> of course, of course. Debugging uh, can be tricky. Yeah, so have you ever thought about how hard it is to debug something that you can't touch or see or hook anything up to, or nobody could?
0: Often, I have thought about that. and. Yeah. Part of it comes from not being quite in this situation, but having deployed code that runs on-prem that mm. you can't touch, right? Mm. And you're running blind and somebody calls support and they're like, we've got this problem. And you're kind of at your, you know, you're kind of blind to what's going on in a lot of cases, unless you use Great tools like Reagan, oh, There you for go. Example. Good job. There's a plug. There's a good plug. Got it in.
1: I was going to say that, you know, I haven't really had to deal with this all that often, but then again, I forgot that my um, parents called me about their internet not working today. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not working. What isn't working? My email. All right. Come on. All right. We're going to. Is the, I'd the like, computer on? Yeah. We're going we to start with the process of elimination again.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Are you home? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So. My story here, or my link here, is uh, an issue that's going on with the Hubble Space Telescope. Um, mm. Back uh, re- recently, in the last couple months, they've had an issue where they have not been able to use a specific. It, the Hubble is not is not operational, and you've noticed that. Maybe you've noticed that pictures have stopped coming. Well, since June thirteenth, they've had a uh, one of the computers has gone down. The payload computer uh, has gone down, and. It's a very slow process to figure out what's wrong. As they say, the reason it's so slow and infuriating is because it's just the, the uh, quote, the inefficiency of trying to fix something which is orbiting 400 miles over your head instead of in your lab. Mm. I mean, they could hook things up to it if it was in the lab. They could see what was going on and stuff, but they can't do any of that. All they can really do is send a command from a limited set of commands that they have, see what comes out of the computer, and then say to da- send that data back down to earth and analyze it and to see what's going on with it. They have some things that they can fall over to or fail over to, but they're afraid to do that because those other things that they can fail over to are currently working. And they're like, what did Mm. he say? He's like, um, he said, the rule of thumb is when something is working, you don't change it. We like to change as few things as possible when we bring it back into service. I get it. I mean, you don't want to brick something like Hubble. Because there's no way to service this thing. Uh, We have no vehicle that can get up there and service it right now.
0: Right. I will never forget going and seeing uh, Commander Hadfield, Chris Hadfield, who was commander on ISS for a while, Canadian astronaut. I went and heard Mm -hmm. him speak on his book tour, and he said, one of the first things you learn as an astronaut is that no matter how bad the situation, pressing a whole lot of buttons can make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I sort of feel like this is applicable in the situation, right? Like yeah. they're in a bad situation, but sometimes running around trying to fix it can make it a whole lot worse. So yep. I totally understand where they're coming from on this one. Oh yeah,
1: I can understand it. I can sympathize with them, and it'd be it'd be great to have like you know when you, there's some of those videos that we shared in the past where they're like resurrecting the Apollo 11 uh, guidance computer and flight computer. It'd be really cool to see one of those like postmortems of this. Like, what did you guys do? How did you figure out what the problem was? How did you fix it? Or maybe it didn't get fixed. I'd love to see that stuff. I just, I'd eat that up.
0: Yeah. I didn't realize, gosh, it's been a long time since Hubble was last visited.
1: 2009. 2009. And so here's the other thing that was interesting about this to me that I didn't get. They're having to, it's 2021 and they're debugging this thing right now, right? The parts were made, were designed and built in the 1980s and Hubble was launched into space in 1990. So you're looking at tech that is over 40 years old that you're having to debug with all the stuff that you have at your disposal today. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess some of it's got to be a little bit easier because you can, you have better tools today to investigate it, but you're still working with, I mean, like the nicest tools in the technology. world have only so much stuff you can do to troubleshoot a Ford Model T.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And they have to keep all of those tools since then, right? So, like, they've got to have all the components on the ground, obviously, so they can poke around at them and, and try different things before they send the real commands up. So they've got to keep all of that down on earth, as well as all of the tools, software tools and so on. It reminded me of a story of a McLaren F1, like servicing a McLaren F1 requires plugging and like essentially plugging into a modem mm-hmm. and dialing into the computer with like a and running software on this laptop that's like ancient DOS program, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't have the source code for it anymore or something along those lines. And technicians are using the old source from and it's all proprietary and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, like uh that's a cool fact about McLaren. It has a modem in it and you can plug it into a phone line and people can remotely dial into your McLaren and use the software to try and diagnose what's going on. It's crazy, just It is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Except um. it's like your McLaren um. was circling orbit 400 kilometers up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. This is true. How about you? Yeah. What pick do you have for us this week? Speaking of space, I've got oh. a feel-good space story. Mm. So you put me onto this, actually. Not the specific story, but you put me onto... Watching a TV show called For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Fantastic show if you're a space geek. I really liked it. I think it's awesome. Right. So that's the backstory. Mm -hmm. Now, the story is about Amazon's founder, Jeff Bezos, just asked an 82-year-old woman to travel into space with him as the final passenger on the first launch that him and his brother and this other guy, I think it's a guy, won the auction for the seat, right? So I think there's four of them going. But the woman who he chose was a woman called Wally Funk, which in and of itself, like, what a cool name. Yeah, no kidding. Right? But she was part of the original Mercury 13, which was a program run in the 60s, early 60s, all-woman program to train astronauts for space. And so it ran alongside the rest of the Mercury program. And if you watch For All Mankind, it is the Mercury 13, it, you know, it's a huge part of the show, right? It was a, it's a big storyline in the show. Mm-hmm. And so Wally Funk was one of the original members of the Mercury 13 and Jeff Bezos has picked her at 82 years old to fulfill her dream of going to space that she never got to do. None of the Mercury 13 mm-hmm. went to space and due to the program being cancelled. And now she finally gets to go, which is pretty awesome. It is. It's so
1: cool. Yeah. I love the genuine look of like surprise when they, they filmed her when she was finding out that she was doing, that she was going. It was,
0: it's so cool. If you've watched For All Mankind, then the basis for the character of Molly, you know, the the sort of the, space cowboy character, mm-hmm. cowgirl character, I suppose, was I like the parallels between Funk and Molly Cobb are clear, right? It's uh, it's pretty interesting that that character was basically Funk, yeah. So, yeah, how awesome is that? I hope we get to see some footage of her in cool, space.
1: It's so cool. That is so cool. And it like when John Glenn went up too, I mean, 82 years old, you know, this isn't exactly a uh, an easy flight that going up. So, I mean, this is, it's, I was surprised that oldest. he was doing that. Yeah, it's, I was surprised that he did it. I mean, it's awesome that he's doing it, but I was surprised. So there's that one. And then uh, what was it? Virgin Galactic is doing their first flight with Richard Branson, Sir Richard Branson. And apparently he, didn't he get, they get the license and they're going up right before uh, Bezos goes up. I think they're they're going to try and beat him up there. Oh, that's
0: a, that's a good competition.
1: Yeah. So that's all happening this month in July. Right. Curious.
0: I love it. Lots to do. It's literally a space race. (laughs) It really is. We're back in a space race. Awesome. I love it. Well, I see we covered quite a bit of news, talked about Copilot, covered some message center updates and a couple of great picks. So, uh, yeah, that's this week.
1: Absolutely. Well, hey, man, it was good chatting with you again and good to hear from everybody again. Hey, uh, or to talk to everybody again, I guess we haven't heard from you. We would love to hear from you, though. Let us know, like I said we said at the beginning of the show. Let us know what you think. What you know? What would you like to see on the show? Any specific people you love for you love to hear from in the the Microsoft Cloud space, either on the Office three sorry on the Microsoft three sixty five side or on the Azure side? Topics we can tackle. Let us know. We I love love to hear what you guys are what you guys are interested in. Definitely awesome. All right,
0: have a good one. Catch you next time. Take care, bud. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in your favorite podcast app. It helps people find out about our show and grow our audience, and we'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com forward slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or MP3 and provide us a link so we can play it on the show. You can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to microsoftcloudshow.com where you'll get notices of each episode as well as the show notes sent to you directly each week. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.